However you come in today, uh, whether you're just burdened by the world or you're just overcome with joy and excitement for what's ahead of you, we're thankful that you're here. Uh, we believe that God has a, a place and a, a purpose for every single one that's come in today. Um, but today we do begin our book, our, our journey through the book of Joshua. You guys all sat down on a card when you walked in, or if, uh, if you don't know that it's there, it's right underneath you. Um, and we're going to get to this towards the end of our service. So I want you guys to just kind of tuck that away for a minute and, because we're going to begin our journey through the book of uh, Joshua. And as we enter into this book, it's really important to make sure that we understand where we are in the Bible so we can make sure we know how to handle the text. You know, maybe you've seen one of those big signs. Uh, most malls and theme parks have them with a really big map to help you figure out where you're going. Uh, and when you look at that map, what's the first thing you look for? It's that really big, uh, you are here arrow. Because if you don't know where you are, you'll never know how to get where you're going. Uh, and when we think of the Bible, it can seem like a really daunting task to figure out the purpose of certain books. Especially since, like we said last week, Jesus is the hero of every passage. But as we'll see, the name of Jesus is, is not actually mentioned at all in the book of Joshua. Well, yet uh, Jesus is still the hero in the book, and we'll see that throughout this entire series. And just as an interesting note, Jesus is actually the Greek name for Joshua, which means deliverer and savior. They both mean the same thing. And so in many ways, Joshua points us to Jesus as a better deliverer. But that said, as we enter into the book of Joshua, we need to get our bearings to figure out where we are in the Bible. And this is like a really quick Bible 101 lesson in the book of Joshua. It's, it's in the Old Testament. It's the sixth book of the Bible. And we think of the New Testament. That's where Jesus comes onto the, theme, onto the scene, which is about 2,000 years ago. But if you look at the first two-thirds of the Bible, we'll find out real quick that a lot happened before Jesus walked the earth. And so again, the book of Joshua that we'll be in for the next few months, it's the sixth book of the Bible that comes after the Pentateuch, which is just a fancy Bible word for the first five books of the Bible. Uh, Pentateuch simply means five books. And so those five books are also called the Law of Moses. And so in many ways, the book of Joshua is the bridge between those first five books and the historical books. Like it's, the ma it's a major storyline that bridges the time of Moses to all the judges uh, in the Old Testament. And so if, you, if your head is spinning with all this Old Testament Bible talk, don't worry, okay? Because the first two verses of Joshua, they help to give us some context. Let's look at those first two verses in chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, uh, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, and into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. So there's a lot in these two verses that I want to point out to help us uh, get our bearings for where we are in the Old Testament. And so I want you to give me about eight minutes uh, and let me tell some of the backstory of Moses and Joshua uh, that we find in the Pentateuch, those first five books of the Bible. And so today I'm going to give like a basic introduction uh, and background to Joshua, like I said, for about eight minutes, and then we're going to be in Joshua 1. So just to help us with an outline today uh, of kind of our time, uh, letter A, background to Joshua, letter B, uh, it's going to be, we're going to look at Joshua 1, and there in B, it's going to be more like a normal sermon uh, where we have a main idea and more of an extended outline. And so as we saw in those first two verses, immediately, that this book comes right after Moses' death. And the book basically, uh, it begins with a funeral. It says in verse 1, after the death of Moses. 
And then it says, the Lord said to Joshua, Moses, my servant is dead. Now go over this Jordan River with all the people into the land that I am giving them. That's quite the eulogy God gives for Moses. Hey, Joshua, Moses is dead. And guess what? You're now my guy. You're up. So God has passed the baton of leadership from Moses to Joshua. And just a kind of a quick backstory on Moses, if you have no idea who this is, uh, and, and the people of Israel, God's people, we see all the way back in the first book of the Bible, God said to Abraham, back in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he said, go from your country, leave what you know, and I want you to go to a land that I will show you. That's really important to the book of Joshua. God made a promise to his people that he would give them land as a blessing, and throughout the book of Joshua, that's what we'll see God do. We'll see God keep his promise to give them this land that we now know is the land of Canaan. So God made this promise uh, for a land to Abraham, but then a lot happens after that. Uh, we see God's interaction with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob back in the book of Genesis, the first book. And when the book of Genesis ends and the book of Exodus, the second book, begins, we see that God's people are in slavery under Pharaoh, an evil, ruthless leader. And God raises up Moses to lead God's people out of slavery through many miraculous works of God. We see the, uh, the ten plagues, seeing God save his people out of bondage and slavery, walking through the Red Sea on dry land. It was like a total miracle and a work of God. And we see God give his people his word and his law to Moses on Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus, seeing God's power uh, and care for his people. And throughout the book of Exodus that we, uh, we went through a few years back as a church, we saw the character of God put on full display, seeing that God is both powerful and also deeply personal. And throughout the entire journey, as God was using Moses to lead his people, we begin to be introduced to this guy named Joshua. And so back in Exodus chapter 17, uh, we see Moses nominate Joshua as a military leader. But it was clear that Joshua couldn't take credit for their victory. But it was actually God who won the battle. We also saw Joshua back uh, with Moses at Mount Sinai in Exodus 24 when God gave the law to Moses. Joshua was called Moses' assistant. And so we see in Exodus 33, whenever Moses went in to meet with God in the tabernacle, uh, Joshua, as a young man, he didn't want to leave. He wanted to stay near the Lord. Like God, during this season, was preparing Joshua. And then later, in Numbers chapter 13 and 14, which is now the fourth book of the Bible, we see Joshua and a guy named Caleb and ten others go and spy out the land of Canaan, the land that God would give them back in the book of Joshua. And only those two, Joshua and Caleb, that God, uh, that, that God could lead, them, like they were the only ones that believed that God could lead them into this promised land. And when, when they saw the land, and they saw how awesome this land was, it was filled with great fruit and rivers. Like this land that they're looking at, it was an excellent land. But there was one caveat. The people in that land, they were really strong. The other 10 spies that were with them, they thought there's no way we're going to make it out of this land thinking they will devour us. And the reason this land was such a big deal was because the people of Israel, God's people, after they were freed from Egypt, they didn't have a place to settle. They were wandering around in the desert for 40 years. I mean, they were basically professional wanderers. And so while they were in the desert, in the wilderness, God's people, they often grumbled and complained and questioned God's goodness. And yet God still provided over and over and over again. 
And so when they saw this incredible land right before their eyes that God said he would give them, they saw hope and peace and rest. This land was called the promised land that would provide for them rest from their wandering. So God's people, they were wandering around and they were weary out in the wilderness. And in God's kindness, through the book of Joshua, we're going to see God keep his promises and ultimately provide rest for his people. Okay, and so if I lost you at any point throughout that entire backstory leading up to this book, I want you to check back in and get this. Because the book of Joshua is a book that shows God as a promise keeper. That God always does exactly what he says he will do. It might not always be what we want or how we'd prefer it or how we would draw it out, but there's no denying God keeps his word and he keeps his promises. And so if you come in today having a hard time believing that God is faithful and are struggling to believe that God keeps his word and his promises, the book of Joshua is for you. And not only that, I'll also say if you come in and you're weary in a season that seems like a wilderness, the book of Joshua is for you. If you come in defeated or directionless or overcome by sin, wondering, will this battle ever be won, the book of Joshua is for you. If you're struggling to believe that God can use you for whatever reason, the book of Joshua is for you. Because through this book, we'll see that God is not only powerful and personal, but he also goes to battle for us. Like our God is a conquering God. And one thing I want to make clear that as we go through this book, you know, we today, we're not promised any kind of land or any type of uh, material possessions that God will give us. No, that promise is not for us today. No, God made a specific promise to a specific people for a specific land with specific blessings. And God made that promise. We see generations later, he showed himself to keep his promise. He kept his word. But although we're not promised any land that would provide us with blessing and rest, God has made many promises to us today that we can trust and that we can hold on to. And we're going to see those throughout this entire series. And here's just one to get an idea of what I'm talking about. You know, we may not be promised rest and blessing in a specific land, but we are promised rest and blessing in Jesus Christ today. And also in the future, we are promised eternal rest and eternal blessings forever and ever with Jesus in a land that will be far better than the land of Canaan. And so when we look at the Old Testament promises, some of the promises were fulfilled for a specific people like the land of Canaan. And many of them were promised and fulfilled through Jesus that we get to benefit from today. And some of them we'll benefit from later when we're, called, when we're with God in heaven. And some of the promises are, in all, are all of the above. But what we know for sure is that God makes promises and keeps them. And just throwing this out there for our new and mobile church, uh, no, we're not promised any specific land, but yes, we are praying for it. <laughs> and there's just one more note before we get to Joshua 1. Whenever we read, study, and teach the Bible, we interpret it from back to front. And what I mean by this is that we know things today from the New Testament that they didn't know back then. So our New Testament, it helps us to better understand our Old Testament. And so whenever the New Testament teaches us something about the Old Testament, we should use that uh, to guide us. And the book of Hebrews in the New Testament gives us some insight to the book of Joshua. In Hebrews chapter 4, we see, like we already said, that God, has, God was promising the land for them to find Sabbath rest in the land. But for us today, as the book of Hebrews points out, our rest is found in Jesus. And that promise for rest, it still stands. 
Like our rest is not found in a land, it's found in Jesus. Again, all the blessings promised in this land, they come true in Jesus Christ. Now after all of that background to Joshua, I want to read the first nine verses of chapter one. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, rise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to, fi- to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I will give to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, the great sea, towards the Towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I am with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So the more we keep kind of circling around this, we're going to keep circling around this, but in in more detail, in short, we're now in in Joshua 1, the kind of the next section of our time. We see uh, that Moses dies and God says to Joshua, go over this Jordan River with all my people and go to the land that I promised Moses. And then God says in verse 5, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, saying, Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Be strong and courageous. Obey my word, and everything will go well with you. Seems pretty simple. Showing us God's commissioning of Joshua. So God has now passed the baton of leadership from Moses to Joshua and has now called Joshua to serve the Lord, seeing that God has called Joshua to a specific task leading us to our main idea for Joshua chapter one. We'll see that God goes with those he calls. God goes with those he calls. And before we dive back into this text, I want you to think about your own life for a second. Because when we think about calling, we often think about it like this specific task that God gave to Joshua. Go to that country, go over that river to this specific land, We see that God gave a very specific calling to Joshua, and sometimes God does this for us. But oftentimes our calling is more like the calling of Abraham, when he just says, hey, leave everything you know and follow me. Abraham's like, where are we going? And God's like, don't worry about that. Just trust me and follow me, and I'll show you when we get there. Now, I want to say that both of these callings and everywhere in between is how God does call us today. Every person has a simple calling to trust Jesus and follow Jesus, just like God called Abraham. Follow me. And sometimes the calling is to a specific task. And oftentimes there's just a mixture of all of it. So maybe God has made your calling in your current season very clear and specific. For example, I'm confident that God has called me to my wife, my kids, and to pastor this church. But nine years ago, God called our family to move overseas to Central Asia. But before that, most of my Christian life, I was unsure of what God was calling me to long-term. But I was confident that I needed to grow and mature and learn the Bible. And looking back, that was what God was calling me to. I just didn't recognize it at the time. And so some of you are very confident that God has called you to a specific place. 
Maybe it's at USF or to a specific ministry or to a specific, specific, specific group of people or a specific task. Or maybe God has made it clear your workplace is where God has called you right now. Or possibly God is calling you out of something or to stop something. Maybe it's a relationship or a job or some sort of recurring sin or some sort of pursuit. You know what? I wouldn't be surprised if for many of us, God was calling us to forgive someone or just to bring something into the light and to confess something. Or maybe God is just calling you to simply wait or to stay in something that's really hard. Again, I don't know what God is calling you to, but whatever it is, our passage today shows us that when God calls us, he goes with us. That's a promise for us today to hold on to. And so as we go through the second half of our time, looking more specifically at Joshua 1, we're going to see, number one, the person God called, number two, God's word for the call, and then number three, the people God called. God didn't just call Joshua, but he called an entire people. It was a collective effort. And so as we've seen, God called Joshua, and God said, just as God was with Moses, God said he would be with Joshua in the same way. And I don't know about you, but I would like to think that if I heard that, I would feel invincible. Like God audibly speaking to me, saying, I will be with you wherever you go. Just as I was with Moses at the parting of the Red Sea and in the wilderness and on Mount Sinai, so God will be with you, Joshua. And he says, along with that, I will not leave you or forsake you. New City, that's an incredible promise. You know, it seems like one of those great uh, those moments in a movie when everyone's kind of fired up, ready to go, full of confidence, just to take on the world with everyone kind of screaming and shouting, full of confidence, ready for battle. But when we look at the next two verses, verse six and seven, the first phrase of verse seven, look what God says. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be very strong and very courageous. Sounds great. God said, you, Joshua, I will use you to cause the people to inherit the land. But you must be strong and courageous. We have to ask, why did God say be strong and courageous? Like twice, back to back, with emphasizing very courageous the second time. And then look down at verse 9. He says it again. Look at it. He says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So why would God say to Joshua three times, be strong and courageous? And this question leads us to number one, the person God called. Again, we need to ask, why did God say to Joshua three times, be strong and courageous, like very courageous? And why? Because Joshua was not naturally strong and courageous. No, he was likely weak and fearful. Joshua knew that God was calling him, and he knew the task ahead of him was bigger than him. Because don't forget, he went and saw the land, and he spied on it, and he saw those big, scary armies that he would have to face. And yes, Joshua and Caleb were the two out of the ten that said, yes, we should go into this land. But if you go back and look at Numbers chapter 13, verse 30, Caleb was the only one that said, at first, we will be able to overcome it. Everyone else, back in Numbers chapter 13, everyone else, which includes Joshua, said, no, we are not able to conquer the land. They are stronger than us. It wasn't until Numbers 14 when Joshua stepped up, knowing that, no, he couldn't do it. But you know what? Joshua knew that although they were not able to conquer the land, Joshua believed that God could. 
New city, Joshua in his own strength was weak and fearful. You know, one, of the, one of the many reasons I love the Bible so much is because from beginning to end, God tends to use the most unlikely people to be used for his purposes. In 1 Corinthians 1.27, Paul said, God uses the weak to shame the strong. And that was Joshua. He knew his own strength wasn't enough, and so he was fearful. And so God looked at Joshua three times and said, be strong and courageous. And let's just think about this, just to belabor the point. Do you know what courage is? Do you know why we need courage? Courage is being afraid, like sensing fear, but yet taking action in spite of your fear. So courage isn't needed if fear isn't present. And so God saw Joshua's fear and his known weakness and said to him, be strong and courageous, be very courageous. Why? Because he was very fearful. Joshua's extra fear required extra courage. Again, courage isn't needed if fear isn't present. God told Joshua to be courageous exactly because he was fearful. Joshua was called to lead his people to a land that was going to be very, very difficult to obtain. In fact, it was going to require God to work. Like they couldn't do it without God. It would have been nearly impossible. And Joshua knew it. I mean, just think about this. Israel was out in the wilderness, wandering around, living completely mobile. They were nomads. They were not trained military. And they were going up against trained military. And they had, they had all the best gear for battle. And God's like, that right there, that land that those people possess, I'm going to use you, Joshua, to lead Israel to inherit that specific land. And what does Joshua do? He gets fearful and very afraid. And God says repeatedly that courage will be required. Fear will happen, but you must walk in faith in spite of your fear. So, but God called Joshua, not because he was fearful, but because in spite of his fear, he would courageously trust the Lord. Who said he listen? Whatever God may be calling you to, whatever it is to start, to stop, or to just simply wait or to endure, whatever it is, if God is calling you to it for his purposes, we can be certain that some sort of fear will be present. I mean, just think about it. If it's something you or I could accomplish on our own, why would we be afraid? That doesn't require courage. It doesn't require much courage to depend on ourselves. No, it takes far more courage to depend on what only God could accomplish. When God calls us to his task that only he can accomplish, God knows it will require faith to trust the Lord every step of the way. And you know what? That's a really scary thing. Maybe you're familiar with the Wizard of Oz and the Cowardly Lion. What was he looking for? Courage. He was a big old scaredy cat that was crippled by his fear, and he was looking for courage. In New City, I am praying that God would continue to make us a courageous people, and not because we're awesome and confident, but because we trust in the God of the Bible. Like the needy and dependent on the Lord are the courageous ones, not the confident and the independent. It doesn't take courage to depend on ourselves. No, it takes courage to depend on God. And what does God call Joshua to? He says, be strong and courageous. What you're about to do, there, are, there will be daily choices of choosing to walk in fear or choosing to be courageous and trust the Lord. And you should think about what God may be calling you to. Maybe ask yourself, what does courage look like? What, where, like where is the fear? 
And how is God calling you to take action in spite of your fear? Maybe it takes courage to to stop something. Maybe a relationship or a job or something that may be good, but not what God has called you to. Because the fear is the unknown and not knowing what to expect uh, with the change. Maybe it takes courage to wait or to stay because the fear is, well, what if I miss out? Or for some, staying in something seems like the scary thing. And for others, pursuing and changing seems like the scary thing. Again, I don't know what God is calling you to, but whatever it is, if the Lord is in it, it likely will take much courage. Choosing to fight sin takes courage. Choosing to continue to fight sin when it seems like defeat is the norm takes courage. Choosing to anchor your life and invest deeply takes courage. Choosing to move your life halfway around the world takes courage. Choosing to endure in something really hard takes courage. I don't know what God is calling you to or to start or to stop or to endure in, but I know this, if it is God-sized and bigger than yourself, courage will be required. This is the person God called. God called a fearful, scared, weak person, but yet a person that was dependent on the Lord for strength, endurance, and courage. New City, with that said, I want to say this as a word of caution. You know, our emotions and desires and things like this can often be very deceptive in whatever God calls us to. And this is when we must know that whatever God calls us to, it will not go against His Word. And just as a gift to us, the people around us who are pursuing the Lord, they will also be the ones to help confirm the calling in our life, which is what we see in verses 7 and 8. Look what it says. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left. You may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. New City, listen. When God calls his people, he equips them and he directs them. And the primary equipping and directing he gives to his call is his word. Leading us to number two, God's word for the call. So get this, God called Joshua to a specific military task and the direction for accomplishing the task were to do all that the law commanded. Joshua was called to obey God's word and to stay in the word and to meditate on it day and night. And so get this, Joshua wasn't going to accomplish this massive task through his military might and power, but rather through depending on God's word and depending on God's power. God said in verse seven, do not turn from from it to the right or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. God said in verse 8 that the word shall not depart from your mouth, that he should meditate on it day and night and be careful to do all that he instructed. And then he said, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. And so in short, accomplishing God's call was connected to God and his word. And it had absolutely nothing to do with Joshua and his abilities or strength. And so church, please listen. If God calls us to something that is bigger than us, our ability to accomplish the call is directly related to our connection to God's word. And not just being connected to it, uh, but but reading it and also obeying it. And so this is is what this shows us, is that God's call is always connected to God's word. If God calls us to something, 
The assurance of the call will be confirmed through the teaching and reading and studying and meditating on the word, showing us that God's word provides assurance in the call. Well, listen, if we're not meditating on the word of God, we can't be sure that we're obeying God's call. But when we sit down and read the word and study the word and meditate on it and pray through it, God speaks to us and he nudges us and he confirms his call in us. And so I just want to throw this out there as a way to show you how God has done this just in my own life to maybe help you think through God's call on your life. You know, almost five or six years ago when we were thinking about planning and starting this church, believing that God was leading our family to the specific call of planting and pastoring this church here in Tampa, you know, uh, we went back and forth so much. Like, is this right? Is this not right? Is this what God is calling to it? To it? Is it not? Like, we weren't really sure. We just kind of throw our hands up, and uh, most days we just say, I don't know. It felt like every day we kind of get a, nif- a different hunch. Maybe this, or maybe that, or maybe my job's kind of nice, or we should just stay put. I mean, family is here. Maybe, maybe we should just stay. And this principle that we see here is what moved our family to say yes to move here and help start this church. And it came down to this. When we were in the word and in prayer and filled with the faith, uh, the the call was clear. Move and plant a church. But when we weren't in the word and driven by our surrounding circumstances and fear and our emotions, our call became confusing and unclear. When we were filled with faith, it was clear. But when we were crippled by fear, we wanted to say, well, maybe we shouldn't. And so let me ask. When you are in the word and in prayer and under the teaching of the word, what is God calling you to? Like what person is God calling you to invest your life in? What is God calling you to do with your resources? What do you need to say no to? What is God calling you to say yes to? Or what is God calling you to begin preparing for? I mean, God could be calling you to something five to 10 years from now, and maybe your step today is just to begin preparing for it. Again, 15 years ago, yo, I had no clue what God was calling me to do, no, like no clue at all. But the one thing that I was sure of was that I needed to learn the Bible, and so I just went to seminary. You know, oftentimes God doesn't show us the end. He just shows us our next step. And for most of us, our call is to be faithful right where God has put us. It's to simply just love God and love people. Yes, sometimes God calls us to move and do things that seem crazy to many people, but oftentimes what God is calling us to be courageous in is to dig deep roots and be ordinary, to simply love God and to love people. And honestly, that's just where I am right now. Just called to be an ordinary, faithful pastor, a loving, faithful husband, and a loving and patient dad. Now, there are a million different things that God could be calling us to, but what I know to be certain is that if it is not in line with God's word, God didn't call us to it. And if we're not in the word, the calling and direction, it will be fuzzy at best. So God's word provides assurance for the call, but it also provides the equipping and strength to accomplish the call. God's word directs us and teaches us into the call, but it also provides endurance and sustaining power to accomplish the call that God has given us. Church, we can be confident that if God calls us, he will equip us and help us see it to completion. And it's not in our own strength, but it's in the Lord's strength that is given to us by his word and through his spirit. You know, maybe, maybe you've heard it said that God doesn't call the equipped, but he equips the called. God doesn't call the strong, but he calls the weak and the dependent. 
Whenever you look throughout the Bible, typically those who, are depend, who depend on themselves fall short, but those who depend on God and His Word, those are the ones that endure. Y'all, there's so much more that we could say about this, but I want to keep moving to finish chapter 1. Look at the, first eight ver- the next eight verses of chapter 1 to finish it out, starting in verse 10. This is what it says. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions. For within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go and to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond beyond the Jordan. But all of the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and, sisters, brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God has given them. And then you shall return to the land of your possessions and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan towards the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your word, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. And so what we see here is Joshua, he's taking God's word to God's people. Joshua said, get ready, like prepare your provisions. And in three days, we're going to pass over the Jordan River and take possession of the land that God is giving us. And so he reminded these people that God is giving them a place of rest. Again, Joshua is simply delivering the message to the people of God. And then they respond in verse 16, all that you have commanded us, we will do. Where you send us, we will go. They say, just like we obeyed Moses, we will obey you, showing us number three, the people God called. One of the things that I love about this is that Joshua wasn't called to this task alone. He was called to it with the community of people around him. In verse two, God said to Joshua, you and all the people shall go across the river. Like this was a community calling. Which for us today, as we think about the calling in our own life, we must know and remember, we're not called to anything alone. If God calls us to something, he will also call others around us to come around us. Like this is the way God works. Like nothing in the Bible says we have a call in our life that does not involve other people in the process. And this is so important for us to remember as we think about God's call in our own life. Because again, this is not an isolated call just for Joshua. No, this was a community call. If God calls you to something, he will confirm it with his word and surround you with people to help you and to be with you. You know, one of my favorite moments in our car to plant was uh, when Kelly looked at me and said, I love you, Eric, but I'm not going alone. She wanted to know who was coming with us. And y'all, she was so right. Because when God calls us to something, he confirms it in his word and with others around us. Like the people God puts around us are so important to both the confirmation and the equipping and for endurance in the call. From Genesis all the way to the end of the Bible, in Revelations, God calls groups of people to things and tasks and people as a community project. 
So listen to me, if God is calling you to something, like if he's calling you to stop with the help of, he's calling you to stop with the help of your community, if he's calling you to stop. If God is calling you to endure in something, he's calling you to endure with your community. I know that God is calling each of us to fight sin in our life and God cannot and will not call us to that alone. Like if God is calling you to fight for your marriage, which his word says, yes, he is calling you to that. Hold on to this because he is calling you to that with a community of people around you. Like you are not alone. Parenting, moms and dads, he has called you to parent your kids and to love them and to point them to Jesus. And you know what? He is calling you to that with a church and a people, a community around you. If God is calling you to move your life among an unreached people group, he will confirm that call with the people around you to send you and also with the team to receive you. Again, there are so many things God could be calling us to, but when God calls us, he sends his spirit, his power, his word, and his people to go along with us. New City, this is just the way God works. God confirms the call with his power, his word, his people, and his promises. And you know what? He will finish it the exact same way. And what I'm 100% sure of, for us as a church, as we saw in our DNA series, is that God has made the call for our church and for every Christian abundantly clear. Like I know, trying to figure out, like what is God calling me to? Like, like trying to figure this out, it can be so confusing. And so I just wanna clear this up. New City, God has called us to love people. God has called us to care for people and to be in relationships with people. God has called us to live open and honest with people and to battle sin together. And so let's ask, like what sin is God calling us to continue fighting? Believing in faith that God, through his spirit, his power, his word, and his people can help us conquer. And not just that, but God has called us also collectively as a church to disciple people and to live on mission here in Tampa. Like we believe that God has called us collectively as a church for every person that calls New City Home to have three to five people to disciple and to have three to five people to reach with the hope of Jesus. Yes, this is our collective generic call as a church, but let me ask, who are those three to five people in your own life that God may be calling you specifically to? Who are those specific people that you're praying for God to save? And not only that, who are those specific people God is calling you to disciple? In New City, as we kind of land the plane here, we can be sure the task ahead of us is massive because only God can change lives and only God can save people and only God can reach the world. But you know what? New City, Joshua was a great leader that depended on God. But today in Jesus, we have a better Joshua. We have a better savior. We have a better deliverer with a better promise. We have the confirmed promise that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the grave and that all those who put their faith in him, he will be with us wherever we go. And he's not only going before us and beside us, but we can trust he is also inside of us, making us strong and courageous. Y'all, we don't get courage from ourselves. No, his spirit inside of us makes us courageous. The gospel of Jesus Christ reminds us that Jesus is with us and is fighting for us. And the commissioning God gave here to Joshua, Jesus gave the same commissioning to us in the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And because of that, the call on our life, we can be sure that we do not do it alone. No, when God calls us, he goes with us.
New City, that's a promise. Let's pray. God, you're calling us to be faithful in the ordinary task of life. God, you call us to follow you. God, if there's anybody here in this room today that has not yet put their trust in Jesus Christ by believing in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, that they would see Jesus as their deliverer and their, their savior. They would put their trust and follow him with their life. God, we ask for your help. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.